It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. When he said that Israelis should not be consumed by rage, who the hell does he think he is? I sat in on every single summit meeting with foreign leaders when they came to the United States after September 11th and met with President Bush. Not a one of them, not one said to President Bush, the Americans shouldn't be consumed with rage. Instead, they just came to support us. So President Biden, who said some good things, never should admonish or lecture Israel about how to react like that. Dan Senor uh, is with me in studio. I want him to hear that because he used to work with Ari Fleischer in the Bush administration. He's got a brand new book coming out in a couple of weeks called The Genius of Israel. Uh, Dan, I want you to hear that because it really plays to, I don't know what your answer is, but it struck me that Ari Fleischer was really direct about that. It was kind of odd for President Biden to be sitting in the War Council meeting with, his, with the Israeli uh, uh, military. Because I, I get it, we, we supply with great allies and all this stuff, but the war hasn't even started yet. Yeah. Do we need the great war planner Joe Biden there? And what about the fact that he says in his speech, don't be consumed by rage? Was that, was that um, insulting advice? So first of all, I think, I think it was important that President Biden was there. I think it's been important that President Biden has compared what Israel's up against to ISIS and to the Nazis. Because we both know how each of those ended with a U.S. commitment to completely wipe out and eradicate those threats and those menaces on on the Western world. You can't on the one hand – and by the way, and to console these people who are completely shocked and rattled, and it's important for them to know the president and the United States government is standing with them. I cannot tell you, Brian, I have a lot of friends over there. I have a lot of family over there. I have two sisters who live in Israel. My mother lives in Jerusalem. I have nephews who've been called up in the reserves. I have friends who have family members who have been taken hostage. So it's it's a raw, raw time. Israel feels vulnerable. It's the most vulnerable Israel has felt since the Yom Kippur War in 1973. And so having the president of the United States be there on the ground, I think, sends an important message. That said... Of course, Israel should be consumed with rage. I mean, who wouldn't be? Think burning babies, decapitating children, torturing people. I mean, just think for a moment what Hamas did. First, they captured these people, these innocent civilians. Keep in mind, over a thousand of the Israelis were civilians. They weren't in uniform. First, they captured them. Then they tortured them. Then they killed them or raped them. And then they burned them so their bodies were unrecognizable unless they burned them alive instead of burning them after they actually killed them. Israel is full of rage, as it should be. That is the natural human response. Yeah. The question is how do you channel that rage? That's the question, not should you be filled with rage. It's how do you channel that sure. rage? And I believe Israel and Israeli society is coming together together in the, in the healthiest and most responsible and most resilient way. You mentioned my book, The Genius of Israel. The subtitle of the t- book, Brian, is The Surprising Resilience of a Divided Nation in a Turbulent World. 
which is we explain why this country is so resilient, how the country comes together, the sense of solidarity in the country. So that rage is being channeled into the most healthy and constructive way. Let me tell you something. Israel did this call up of, of reserves, 300 to 350,000 reservists called up. The percentage of turnout is 150%, meaning they overshot in the number of reserves they called up because they weren't sure what the turnout yeah. would be. It's 150%. People are showing up more people than they know what to do with and they can deploy. People who are too, who are aged out of reserves are are showing up saying, I, don't, I know I'm aged out, but I want to be here and I want to be helped. People retired military are showing up. Civilians, the civilian mobilization to help. The country is angry, but the country is not – defeated. So that rage is being channeled into a positive, constructive, as one as positive as one can imagine way in this as positive as one could hope for in this environment and with and as positive as one could expect it with given what it's been dealt. So I don't um I, I don't know what he meant. Right. I, yeah, who knows? Uh he said that well I mean put it this way. There's a the big thing now is how effective has the bombing raid been, knowing that there are hostages there. So there are hostages there. You got to be somewhat surgical in a very the densest, most populated area in the in a country twenty five miles long and five miles deep. Mm-hmm. So how successful has it been so uh, far? I think they uh, have have been doing the kind of bombing uh, a, a military can do before the major war offensive begins. So to the extent that it's pre clearing uh, a lot of uh, basically they're trying to take out among other things they're trying to take out. Uh, weapons depots and launching areas that could be a problem for the uh, IDF when it actually goes in, goes in. Uh, they're doing that well. You know, it's been a number of days. I I am a little concerned that they – Waiting too long. Yeah, I'm a little worried about that. Because they mean, can get out and they could also plot and plan. They can plot and plan. The the, the military personnel that they're the, – the military leaders of the, – the leaders of Hamas's military wing who they really want to get are – you know, it gives them time to scatter maybe – uh, and um, and it just there's a, a sense of momentum that you may lose. Now, look, I think there's internal debates going on in the in the uh, Israeli War Cabinet right now to try to figure out uh, how to prosecute this war. And you know, uh, it's a it's a there's a, there are disagreements within the War Cabinet, according to reporting in the Israeli press and according to people I'm speaking to. There are disagreements on what to do next and what to do first. Uh, but and and so that's also cause for delay. But um, because you want to know if it's, if you should actually push for the northern uh, the northern front because this country is mobilized now they understand the threat. How many more attacks do you need? Do you need something of that magnitude to go off on Hezbollah now? And does if you want to hurt Iran, you'd wipe out Hamas and Hezbollah or diminish them to set them back decades. The, the biggest. Um uh, misconception of what Israel deals with is when they refer to it as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That is incorrect. It is. It used is, to be. Yeah, it used to be. But 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 the Hamas cause, the Hamas movement, is a proxy for Tehran, and Tehran has a number of proxies. It has Hamas. It has, to some degree, Palestinian Islamic Jihad. It has Hezbollah up in the north, as you mentioned. It's got Syria. In Israel's uh, east of uh, Israel, Where Iran's got a huge presence, and Iran has a huge presence. So, so all these entities are proxies of Iran, and Israel's got to think holistically about the threat. It's not just about taking out the Hamas threat because Hezbollah in the north, which is just as vile and barbaric as Hamas is in the south, 
has 10 times the capabilities of Hamas, 10 times the rocket capability, 10 times the personnel. In fact, they're, 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 uh, the Hezbollah militias, their terrorists, are better trained than Hamas because they've spent the last number of years they were deployed in Syria to fight in Israel's uh, mm. civil war on behalf of Assad. So they're actually better equipped. So Israel's got to think about this holistically in terms of, of what it's dealing with. And, um, it, you know, and Iran is at the center of this. So uh, as it's written, if they take on Hezbollah, buildings will fall in Tel Aviv. I mean, there'll be there'll be problems. Yeah. Uh, but are you are you are you putting are you taking on a war that would be more damaging in five years, in 10 years? And then are there's, there's going to be right now you do have the public sentiment. And if the world is ever going to be on your side, even though some of them staggeringly are not, there would be now because we see this. So that's what you guys uh, that's what they're debating over there. I would talk to Musab Hassan Youssef, whose dad was one of the founders of Hamas. Yeah, he son of to, Hamas. Yeah, yeah, he went in, went to prison, came back. Yeah. He ends up working for the Israelis. He wrote a book about it. He's now somewhere, I think he's in Virginia area. Here's one of the things he said about the PR war and the need to go in and how lethal these guys are. Cut eight. I cannot convince uh, the, the entire world of truth. Right now, uh, people are emotional. They hate to see children dying. Even though, you know, Hamas is killing the people at the hospital and we have evidence of that, but they still blame Israel. People can blame whoever they want, you know, but now we have to concentrate. We have to focus. Public opinion is very important, but unfortunately, it's not uh, the time to win the public opinion. It's the time to win the war against the most brutal terrorist organization living today, you know. And later on, when people look back at the situation, they will understand what we were doing. We should not be afraid of the public opinion. We have to explain as much as we can, you know, but now we have to concentrate uh, on our goals. Is he right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's heartening to hear what he says. Uh, I must say, I mean, I, I know his story uh, quite well, and um, his book is, is quite good. And he is um, – I have a lot of Israeli friends who are – have relationships with him. Um, yeah. I mean, by the way, what's interesting is – so he has all these direct ties to Hamas, and he's saying these things. I'm struck by the number of Arab voices in and around Israel that are basically saying versions of what he said. So Israel has a large Arab population inside Israel that are citizens of Israel. Okay, they're 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 minority. So I wouldn't population. know that because it, I don't really see. You know, I'm not seeing that. I know <laughs> exactly because you're not getting covered here. So there's an Arab population in Israel. They have political parties in the Knesset. They have representation in the top academic institutions in the Supreme Court. They have historically been very critical of Israel, even though they're citizens of Israel. Mm-hmm. Think of them as on the far left of the Israeli political spectrum. And they have mostly been historically sympathetic to the Palestinian narrative and the Palestinian cause, even though they're citizens of Israel. For the first time, I've, I've never seen this. They are speaking out as proud citizens of Israel. There's an anchor on one of the major uh, Israeli television broadcasters, a news anchor, Lucy Arash, who's uh, – who I can – I've been posting on social media. After this interview, I'll post on on Twitter and 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 um, Instagram again, just for people who want to see it. The what she did on television, where she she does her broadcast every night, and she's known as a fierce critic of Israeli government policy. And she said, I, "I'm going to say something now." She said it in Hebrew. She said, "I'm going to say it in English." I'll, I'll put the English clip up on my social media. And she said, "I stand with Israel. I'm an Israeli citizen." These people who wage this barbaric attack are not me, mm-hmm. and I abhor them, 
And she and so you, and, and this is like a prominent Arab voice. Is, and, you're not, it, and it's not getting attention Muslim, over here. Is it a Muslim yeah, voice? Yeah, and you're not, it's not getting attention over here. And so I just think this this yes, you play son of Hamas, but there's but there's more and more of these voices speaking out. And um, and how could they not? Because many Arabs live in Israel as Israeli Arab but, citizens. They're, they're I, regular. I was, Dan, Sorry, I was struck by citizens. the fact that 18,000 work permits, people come out of Gaza to work in Israel. I didn't know that. Yeah. 18,000 come yeah. through those gates every day. I, you know what breaks my heart is if you look at the communities that were, were targeted in the south of Israel in the October 7th uh, invasion, many of those communities are secular, quite liberal communities. These kibbutzes, the kibbutzim, they're, they're – Peace-oriented people, they, they actually want to coexist in many cases yeah. with Gaza. There are volunteers from some of the, these kibbutzes who go to Gaza every day to pick up Palestinian children to help bring them to medical centers to get them their dialysis. Whatever I mean, there's, there's these amazing stories. These people, like this woman They're I'm talking about who does that, she's dead. Or they've been taken hostage. These are the people they attacked. I don't know. But they did do research on how to get them and, uh, and infiltrate military bases. They were on for hours. I saw in the manual they thought this the attack would last three to five minutes. Yeah. And instead it lasted forever. Yeah. And, and that's what it is stunning. I don't think you guys can wait. Uh, Israel can wait to the end of the war to figure out what happened. They got to find out now. I, I really think uh, – I know you only have so many resources. That's the problem. But there's got to be somebody on this. We were studying 9-11 while we were yeah. still mobilizing for Afghanistan. You're right. So the, the Israel's got the problem is Israel's as we've talked about earlier smaller. And it's got multi fronts that potentially are opening up. Right. Uh Dan Senior's gonna stick around. Uh his book's coming out uh because he he's I just uh, ironically, no one knew this was gonna happen, obviously. The genius of Israel. If anyone knows what's going on there, he does. A few more minutes with Dan when we come back. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Hey, welcome back. Got a couple more minutes here with Dan Senor. Uh, the president's got to address tonight, at which time it would be great if he just addressed Iran as the major problem and talk about how. And what I would love to see, and I know we don't have to do it, uh, I made a decision to try to bring Iran back into this nuclear deal 
and try to bring them back into the family of nations. It's been an epic disaster. There's reasons to believe they're behind all of this, at the very least, the funding and creation of Hezbollah and Hamas, therefore X, Y, and Z. That, to me, would be an effective address. I don't think he's going to do that. What about Dan Senor, former foreign policy advisor of the Bush administration, author of The Genius of Israel, coming out in a couple of weeks? Dan, you know communications. What do you think is going to be in that speech tonight uh, from the Oval? Uh, I think the president is recognizing that public opinion right now is extremely high in the United States for support of Israel. Again, as I've said earlier, not Despite the protests. Despite the protests, the reality is most Americans, the overwhelming majority of Americans, look at the forces of barbarism and the forces of civilization, and they say, we're on the side of the forces of civilization. Right. And that's why you're seeing high 70s, 80s percent of, of Americans across the ideological spectrum saying we stand with Israel. So most, how about this? It, almost 80 percent of Republicans anyway. Right. And now it's over 50, almost 60 percent of Democrats, up 17 points since the attack October 7th. I don't know what, was, what the Democratic Party was been doing, but. Right. And so I think it was a wake-up call. And and uh, look, you know, we've seen this before, Brian, in in um, two, in about about a decade ago when ISIS was on the move. America's role in the Middle East was in the decline. Yeah. And overwhelming – you looked at the polls. Should America be involved in the Middle East? Overwhelming majority of Americans, not 60, 63, 64 percent said America should should reduce its presence in the Middle East. And then you remember it was in 2013 or 2014, those two hostages were beheaded by ISIS. Remember they videoed it and they broadcast Jumpsuit. it. Right. One was Australian. One was uh, an American reporter. And uh, public opinion flipped overnight. Majority of Americans said, we need a presence in the Middle East. We shouldn't be bailing out of Iraq and these other places so quickly. I think when Americans see that kind of barbarism, they know they know mm-hmm. we need to be engaged in the world and they know whose side we need to be on. And the president needs to channel that. The president needs to express that. America is engaged in the world. It's engaged in the Middle East. We've got to stand by our allies mm-hmm. and we've got to confront the nucleus and the architect of the of the of the barbarism, and as you said, that is Iran. And he has to say that tonight. He's been reluctant to say it. He has. He's not. He's, he's not said it at all. He's barely mentioned. He, I don't think he's mentioned the word Iran, and he's hinted at it. You know, he's discouraged other parties from getting involved or capitalizing mm-hmm. on this moment. He's speaking about Iran, not just Iran, but he's been speaking about Iran. But uh, yeah, I, he. I look once he once he talks about Iran, it does commit the U.S. in a sense to to being much more involved than I think the president wants to be. Right. And you have to think about yourself. Is there a scenario where the next day after a successful invasion without the Israelis occupying, where this doesn't become a terror den again, if Iran's allowed to continue to fund these terror networks? If if Israel does real damage to Hamas and even does real damage to Hezbollah, but the Iranian regime is still intact and untouched, these terror groups will rise to fight again. I mean, that's just the reality in the near term, not in the long term, right. in the near term. Because Iran's presence there. And does it bother you, Dan, as somebody who really understands global politics? At the same time, China's got over 100 nations in a conference for the Belt and Road Program where they give you know, they give out loans yeah. that people can't pay back and projects that probably won't be effective. But the Belt and Road Program in China looks like they're in charge. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, look, and look what China's done in the Middle East. China's tried to raise its presence in the Middle East, too, for this reason, because they, they sniff American weakness. Right. And it's, people are tired of it. They want to worry about home, but you can't. It's right. going to come home. Right. What, what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. All right, Dan. Thanks so much. Uh, go out and pick up his book. You can pre-order it. Genius of Israel. Thank you. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.